If you're a longtime listener of CNA Newsroom, maybe you've picked up on the fact that I am getting married. Maybe you haven't, and that's okay. But uh, I am getting married, and it's coming up. It's happening really soon. When this episode airs, my wedding will be only 12 days away. So a few nights ago, I was working on the seating chart for the reception with my fiancé, Eric, and I got a call from my dad. He called to talk with me about something related to the wedding. I can't really remember what because there are just too many details to keep everything straight. It was a short call, though, and at the end he said, Oh, by the way, I visited Grandma, and I asked her if she had any wedding advice for you. He said he'd recorded a video on his phone, and he'd email it to me after our call. Do you have any advice for her? Oh, Kate, you couldn't get any advice from me. You're such a good kid that you're always a good one. (laughs) (laughs) My grandma Thelma is 99 years old. She lives in a nursing home in Madison, Nebraska. She moved there about a decade ago when her husband, Art, needed more help. Grandpa Art passed away in 2011, but Grandma stayed at the home ever since. And it's been a while since I've been able to visit Grandma Thelma. I live in Denver now, and my trips home to Nebraska are usually pretty short. Too short to justify the extra drive to Madison. But it's been a while since I've even called Grandma Thelma or written to her. (laughs) <laughs> what else would you tell Kate? Any good advice? Oh, Kate, just keep your family in, in mind. Oh. It seems like it's too easy to get away, far away, and first thing you know, you hardly know your family. So just keep your family in mind. Don't, don't forget them. This episode isn't about the guilt of a granddaughter who doesn't call her grandma often enough. This episode is about a population of people who are too often and too easily forgotten, and the loneliness and isolation that comes with that. This is the second part of our two-part series on loneliness. The first was about millennials who are lonely, and this week we're talking about seniors. You're listening to CNA Newsroom, the podcast that brings you the people behind the headlines. I'm your host this week, Kate Vike. Stay with us. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. Depression affects more than 65 million individuals in the United States, and 35 million of them are 65 and older. This is Melanie Bertihickey. I am an assistant professor at Briarcliff University in the social work department, and I am a licensed a master's level social worker. Melanie has more than a decade of experience in end-of-life care. She's worked in nursing homes across the United States. In the research and in my personal experience as a social worker in the hospice realm, I see a lot of depression, um, anxiety, as well as isolation and loneliness as it relates to really all the populations I work with, but mainly with the aging population. 
The fact is, white males aged 85 and older have one of the highest rates of suicide in the United States because of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. That white male age 85 and older with those statistics, it does show that, you know, needing those interactions, having a purpose in life, wanting to live on your legacy, um, no matter who it is, no matter what culture you may be from, it's just important to have that socialization and to have that support both from family and the community. Loneliness definitely is a concern for us now. This is Gracie Ortiz. She's the regional coordinator for Catholic Charities in the Diocese of Charleston. And she's a licensed clinical social worker and has years of experience working with seniors. Gracie has seen a lot of loneliness in her work. And she said she has a few ideas about why seniors are so lonely. First, I think there's a lot of focus in our society on youth and beauty and how productive we are. And much emphasis is placed on how much we contribute economically to society. And all of these things diminish as we age. I think also older adults can become lonely when they suffer multiple losses and at the same time don't have a good social support network. So for example, someone can be suffering from multiple losses as they lose mobility, vision, hearing, friends, a spouse, a job. Melanie said substance abuse is also a contributing factor to senior loneliness, especially among seniors who are homebound and self-medicating with opioids or other things. And if there's not a lot of people coming in and out of the home, sometimes it's just not recognized. The root of the problem seems to be that there just aren't enough people interacting with seniors, checking in on them day after day, week after week. In fact, one recent survey found that most weeks, 225,000 seniors in the UK talk to no one at all. To me, it's having that inability to kind of have that social interaction, physical interaction with individuals day to day that can cause a higher rate of depression and isolation. When you're living in an assisted living, a nursing home, or even um, with a family member, you do have some of that um, socialization. But when you are an individual who lives by themselves, that socialization absolutely can be just hindered. So those are the individuals that really, if you're a family member, to reach out and check in with them and provide them that comfort but it's becoming more and more common for people to move away from the city or state in which they were raised. I moved away from my home state of Nebraska to Colorado almost eight years ago for a job, this job actually. And while Colorado isn't really that far away from home, I've found that I need to be a lot more intentional about staying in touch with family. And that means Skype or FaceTime or phone calls. In the first part of the series on loneliness, we found that technology could be aggravating feelings of isolation and loneliness among young people. I was curious if technology was having a similar effect on seniors, or if it could be a good tool to help us connect more easily with the seniors in our lives. I just praise the nursing homes that have classes that deal with usage of their cell phones. 
Facebook, and even different kinds of technology to connect individuals with um, their families who may live in different parts of the United States or the world. Now, on the downside, technology can also kind of be a hinder. Melanie has a teenage daughter who often texts her grandparents, so she's in touch with them. But Melanie knows her mother would prefer a visit from her granddaughter or a letter or a phone call over a text. Technology cannot replace the human touch. Today, most people, of course, love to email, but I think there's nothing like getting a card in the mail. I don't think it's the same thing, especially for an older adult. It doesn't mean the same thing to get, you know, the the e-cards. You know, it just doesn't mean the same thing. I mean, there's something about going to the mailbox. You feel really special anytime you get mail and it's not junk mail. (laughs) Um, You know, you feel really special. It's great that people are communicating and able to have fast mass communication. But when in the end, I know that individuals who at the end of life have a lot of time to really think about their lives and having those cards that they can look at, waiting for that phone call. And it might be um, one or two phone calls that they might get per week just to have somebody check in on them. Although technology can be used for good, technology today can also be used to replace face-to-face interaction. And that's never a good thing. I think we need to be a lot more intentional today more than ever about forming community. So seniors are lonely and technology can help them feel more connected to family, but it can't replace that daily face-to-face interaction. But why isn't that face-to-face interaction happening? Why do so many seniors sometimes go days without receiving a visitor? Melanie and Grace said the main issue is that younger generations are afraid, quite frankly. When I went to get my master's in social work, there were a lot of people, I was surprised, there were a lot of people who did not want to work with the elderly. And when I, when I looked into it, I realized it was because they didn't have experience interacting with seniors very much. Some families are separated by geographical distance, so some people don't grow up being able to interact with their grandparents. I've worked with volunteers at the senior center who had never interacted with older adults. And they were a little reticent at first, but once they began volunteering with the older adults, they loved it. We're going to take a quick break. And after that, we'll talk about a program in Seattle that is working to address that fear of the unknown and break down barriers between generations by pairing a senior health facility with a preschool. Stay with us. Hi, everyone. This is Father John Paul Mary, the Franciscan Missionaries of the Eternal Word. I'm the chaplain for EWTN employees. You may remember me from episode 18, The Pirate Nun. If you enjoy listening to CNA Newsroom and CNA Editor's Desk as much as I do, and I have to say it's the highlight of my week, you can subscribe to both of these shows and get them delivered straight to your phone as soon as they're posted. Just search on your favorite podcast app for CNA Newsroom tap the subscribe button, and then do the same for CNA Editor's Desk. Both shows are available on Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. And may the blessing of Almighty God be upon you this day, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now back to the episode.
A woman walks with her two-year-old granddaughter through a park in Seattle. Up ahead, there's a bench, and a woman is sitting there, visiting with her elderly mother, who is in a wheelchair. The two-year-old runs up to the elderly woman in the wheelchair. She puts her hand on her knee, she smiles at her, and she says, hi. And the young mom, who was with her mother, really was nearly brought to tears and just said, my gosh, how, how is it that this, this little one has this confidence and this comfort with this person who someone may not, as an adult, pause and even say hello to? The little girl had that confidence because she goes to a child care center located at a care community for seniors in West Seattle called Providence Mount St. Vincent, or The Mount. And the thing is, her story isn't unique. Those are the anecdotes that we hear all the time about how the children are out in the community so accepting, so delighted, so comfortable around elders and people with potentially physical or other um, challenges. It's amazing to hear those stories. Providence Mount St. Vincent was founded in 1924 by the Sisters of Providence. Today, it serves more than 400 aging adults who need either 24-hour care or assistance in their daily lives. The Mount expanded its services about 30 years ago to include a child care center at the request of employees who had younger children and were looking for a place to bring those children during the workday. The child care center was also an experiment because the Mount realized that a lot of the seniors who they were working with were experiencing loneliness and isolation. We do see that and we do hear about that out in the community, but as people come to Providence Mount St. Vincent, our whole structure is about building community and engagement. This is Molly Swain. She's the Director of Development at the Mount. Having a child care center on site and intergenerational programming that is directly woven throughout the residential experience here, we feel that we're really combating that and trying to be the, the antidote here at the Mount. And so from that, we developed one classroom, two classrooms. This is Charlene Boyd. She was kind of the brains behind the whole intergenerational learning project. We're five years into it, and we're about the same size now today, just because we're constrained by physical space. Today, the Mount has a daily enrollment of 90 children. The children are as young as six weeks, and the seniors are as old as 103. The child care program is so popular, there's a wait list. There's a very long wait list for the program itself, um, over four years. <laughs> I think there are a lot of young parents that really see the value of children experiencing older adults. Some of these younger parents never really came into contact with older adults in their lives either. And now they're just, they're seeing it right away. And that's what we want. We want not out of sight, out of mind, but these are normal people that might have frailty and might have vulnerability, but we all have something to give. From 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday, kids share the four city block campus of Providence Mount St. Vincent with its senior residents. Each classroom makes visits twice a day to a program area or neighborhood for a planned activity like art or music. But sometimes the kids just visit with the residents. It's just a whole host of kind of organically developed 
activities based on what people's interests are and what the children are learning about, and then also some of those structured uh, classes like the art and the music programs. And the children love going to visit the residents as well. They get to know them because they're all here together over typically years. Just because there have maybe some healthcare compromises, there's no reason why they shouldn't have as much of a normal environment as possible as they um, experience aging. A part of that normalcy is a sense of purpose in life. So having the children here is so wonderful for the elders to feel that they have something still to give back. The Mount has captured international attention for its intergenerational programming. So many people are interested in recreating this intergenerational interaction. When people come to visit us, though, we're not trying to be a model. We're trying to show, I guess, more than anything, the linkage and how important it is to make life affirming. And the culture of aging is extremely important to that. We're just trying to, for them to see the value of a linkage of in your neighborhood, with your neighbor, with your friend, in your co-housing, whatever it is, in a culture of aging that does need young and old together. Today, there are about 46 million Americans who are 65 and older. But that number is expected to more than double by the year 2060. Americans aged 65 and older will number over 98 million. They'll account for almost a quarter of the population. The aging population is really growing as the baby boomers are are aging. So with that stating, we as a population have a duty and have to be knowledgeable of the needs and the care of the older population. So how can we respond? How can we take better care to notice and interact with the seniors in our lives? Gracie gave me a ton of suggestions. I wish I could include them all. But every suggestion was essentially to start paying attention to the seniors you cross paths with regularly, at your parish or in your neighborhood, and talk to them. Even simple things like volunteering to rake our neighbor's yard in the fall, or even inviting a neighbor who has lost her husband over for dinner. Think about something you enjoy doing, and think about how you could include a grandparent or a neighbor. Like, you know, one, one example is like, I love my mom's and my grandmother's recipes. You know, I really do. So what about, you know, providing opportunities either for recipe exchanges or an opportunity to cook together where the older adult can, you know, show somebody about their recipe. I, I just think things like that, you know. I took Gracie's advice and I looked at my own parish. I go to Holy Name in Denver. I emailed the parish and asked if Holy Name takes communion to the homebound, since I'd learned seniors who are homebound are especially at risk for loneliness and isolation. I got connected with Carol Kowalski. Carol is a senior herself. She's been a parishioner at Holy Name for nearly 50 years. She got involved with the homebound ministry after a friend insisted she try it. Carol, this would be something you'd like. And I'd say, oh, John, I wouldn't even know how to get to people's houses. Well, I rode with him, and then he did this carefully detailed map of the current homebound people. And once I got over that hump of not being afraid of getting lost, then I'm, I'm, oh, this is, I mean, I do, I lecture, book club, the Marys. I mean, all of this, this is my favorite ministry. This is. 
Today, Carol is responsible for every Sunday of every fourth month. And when I called her, she just so happened to be scheduled for the following Sunday. After checking with the people she visits, Carol agreed to let me tag along. I met her for coffee and a donut in the parish hall after 8 a.m. Mass one Sunday. She introduced me to her friends, and then we headed to the chapel. Carol opened the tabernacle and carefully selected the four consecrated hosts that she would need for the visits. I have been doing this for over 15 years. It's been a a long time. I always make sure I have my bulletins because people love to get their bulletins. I'm Dave Burdick. Do you usually turn the radio off? Or, uh, if I have it on, I listen to sacred classics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Either that or it's off. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But I can turn it off. (laughs) Either way. So can you tell me kind of um, about this first home that we're going to visit? Okay, Aurelia Pacheco. She is a longtime holy name parishioner. I think she is a, she is widowed, and sometimes her daughter will bring her to Mass, but it's getting difficult for her to get out. She had a stroke. Um, several years ago and so it's she uses a walker and it's it's difficult for her to get around. We park in front of Aurelia's house which is maybe a three-minute drive from Holy Name and Carol gives me a quick primer. I come in I like to do the communion service first because and then we visit but a lot of times they're just they really want to visit now, I don't do any gospel readings. I mean, sometimes I'll comment on if Father has said something that is striking at the homily that I'll mention that we did. Sometimes I have to even work to get the television set turned off or down. I mean, it just depends on the, mm-hmm. on the person. Good morning, morning Aurelia. <laughs> I love you. Oh. Uh, oh, well, thank you. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Well, Aurelia is really welcoming. She turns off her TV and Carol begins the communion service. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Bless this house and all who are in it. To prepare ourselves for this celebration, let us call to mind our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts. They pray the Our Father and then communion. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Amelia, the body of Christ. We spend a moment in silence. May this body of Christ, which Aurelia has received, bring her peace of mind and body. Amen. Amen. And I brought you your bulletin so so you can keep up on what's going on in the parish. And and Father's um, 
his little letter in here also is directed towards what his homily was today, too, about oh, okay. uh, putting Jesus first. I ask Aurelia about her adjustment to being homebound. It hasn't been a hard adjustment. The only thing uh, at first was missing mass, you know, because I couldn't drive anymore after I had that stroke. I adjusted pretty well because my family, my friends, uh, they're there for me all the time, you know. I ask her what it means to have people like Carol bring communion to her home. Oh, it means a lot because I get to receive Jesus. So thank God for these people that come to the homes. <laughs> we visit for a while. Aurelia tells me about the bunko group she sometimes subs for. She tells me about her enchilada recipe. She tells me about some of the faces in the photos in her living room. And then it's time to head to the next house. So, but I'll see you next Sunday. Okay, okay really? Uh, yeah, thank you so much. Before we really expanded our teens, I would do the whole route every second or third month. And I would start after 8 o'clock mass, and sometimes I wouldn't get home until almost 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I think we just didn't worry about how long it was going to take, because this is our ministry to do this, so... Our next stop is Gina. Gina's been a parishioner at Holy Name for 50 years and only recently became homebound. Good morning, Gina. Good morning. <laughs> Gina and Carol are longtime friends. I can tell they're excited to catch up. But first, communion. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Bless this house and all who are in it to prepare ourselves for this celebration. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Gina has been receiving communion from home for nearly two years. I feel so blessed that there are people who want to do this for me because I initially was embarrassed, which is strange, to ask to have communion brought to me. I thought I failed in some way. But... I always watch the Mass on TV, and I finally said, okay, I can have this, why am I turning away from it? And it was a matter of pride, I think, because I knew that people I knew were going to be bringing it to me, and what would they think of me? I wanted to visit with Gina. I wanted to see, I wanted to be able to come and see you. I know, and like I said, it was vanity, which I think is part of aging. Our third and final visit for the morning is to the home of Joe and Sylvia. Joe recently had a stroke, and when we visited, he was recovering from pneumonia. You've had a, had a kind of a glitch, huh, with pneumonia? Monday night he had the chills real bad, that's all I had, that was my clue. Something was going on. And after communion, we visit. Did they have coffee and rolls this mm -hmm. morning? Oh, good. Yeah, I kind of miss all that. Joe and Sylvia are longtime parishioners of Holy Name. Their kids went to CCD there. Joe was a member of the Knights of Columbus. And he was a grand knight the year the parish center was built. We were very involved. Okay. We used to go around and give everybody communion. Oh, really? We went to the oh, nursing homes. For 20 years, and we picked up people for mass for in the old 13-passenger uh, uh, van that we I, had. Was I telling you about the van? Yeah. Yeah, we had a van that uh, was supposed to only seat 
uh, up to nine passengers, but I think we had 13, and I sat on the floor. <laughs> it was the only way they had to get to church, you know, and so they appreciated going. It's like what goes around comes around, comes around, and it's just like a, a cycle, you know? Hey guys, it's JD. Uh, Kate just Kate just went to call her grandma. So just to close things out, we cannot be Christians by ourselves. Christians are made to be in communion with God and in communion with one another. Loneliness ends when we pick up the phone or invite someone we hardly know to come over for lunch or just begin to talk with the people around us at our parish or at work or in our neighborhood. We are so connected these days to a sort of self-selected community. We're so connected to the people we want to be connected with. We can text with our friends all day. We can Instagram or tweet or do other stuff with the people who we choose to be in community with. But the people who are in our actual communities, our neighborhoods, our parishes, our offices, sometimes need our friendship, and sometimes we don't even realize it, but we need theirs. Christians are not individualists. Christianity is a faith of communion. So let's remember that. Special thanks this week to Kate Vike for hosting this episode. I'm J.D. Flynn, your regular host of CNA Newsroom. I'll be back next week, but um, Kate, you did a great job. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown, our executive producer and our host this week is Kate Vike. Special thanks to Carol and to um, everybody else who helped us out with this episode. We'll see you next week.